Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What is up, Wizards fans? Welcome to another Believe in Wizards podcast. Uh, this is going to be a draft focus episode. Jihadi and I will be recording early next week, so stay tuned for that. We'll be talking more about the state of the Wizards and the GM search and all those things. But today, we're just going to keep it rolling with prospects to keep in mind. I've got Garrett Johnson joining me. Garrett's a scout for Between the Line Sports, NBA draft analyst, enthusiast, all those things. This guy's super smart, knowledgeable, and really like detailed information on on these guys lower down in the draft that you know the rest of us who are, are superficial watchers probably aren't as familiar with. And he's also a Wizards fan, so we're going to get really good perspective from him on on guys that you know specifically could fit with this Wizards team. So really excited to have him on, and uh, you know just have a good basketball conversation about the bigs that are available to the Wizards on this year's draft. Not a very deep big class, so um, you know got to be smart about finding guys on the margins and, and those diamonds in the rough, and and potentially um, there are a couple of those here. Weather is finally getting nice, although it's monsooning at the moment. I'm recording this, so maybe you hear. Um, some some rain pelting off our skylight while we're recording this. So tune that out, I guess. But it is getting nicer overall. So it's perfect time of year for Surfside and, you know, hard iced tea, hard lemonade, their seltzers, all of the above from Stateside Vodka. They're delicious. It's probably the only drink that my wife and I both like equally. So I don't know, do the lady in your life a favor, get some Surfsides and uh, just have a good time together. Uh, also brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for all your basketball info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines, including the latest player reports. From this year's pro basketball playoffs, Bet Online is always your sports information headquarters this season as we have you covered for all your sports wagering needs basketball, MLB, NHL, right to UFC and boxing. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games so you can play right from your home. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and get in on the action. Be sure to use our promo code BELIEVE, B L E A V, to receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. With that, let's get to my conversation with Garrett Johnson. It is my pleasure to bring on Garrett Johnson. Garrett, you are the first draft uh, analyst we've had on this podcast that actually is dumb enough to also like the Wizards. So I'm really excited to be doing this because we can actually talk about these guys sort of more directly in the context of this team and what this team needs. So uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I don't know how I ended up being a Wizards fan either. I I grew up in Virginia. I guess that's my reason. And, uh, you know, I have to stick with it. <laughs> I think that's kind of where all of us are. Everyone listening to this just nodded in agreement because uh, we're kind of stuck at this point. So uh, I think this would be a really good conversation. One of my like sort of pet peeves is like people who, I don't know, maybe haven't adapted to the way the modern NBA is. They like love to throw out like, hey, uh, you know, it's the Wizards need a big old school basket back to the basket center. And one of the reasons I mentioned to you I wanted to do this pod now is because I've had two totally independent, unrelated people ask me why Zach Eady wasn't going to be higher on the Wizards radar specifically, um, you know, early in the first round because he's the most productive player in college basketball this year. And it's like, all right, I think we just need to have a conversation about like what translates to the NBA and, and we'll get to Zach Eady. So for anybody listening to this, this po- podcast will be focused specifically on bigs centers you know maybe maybe guys that are bigger forwards even i think we can kind of lump in here we're, we're going to keep it kind of fluid and open and just kind of have a convo so um garrett i guess the first one we've got here is sort of the no-brainer uh everybody's sort of consensus number one at this point victor Weminyama. uh if anyone hasn't seen him he's like 11 feet tall like 11 feet long um he's averaged like 21 points 10 rebounds three blocks Shot a bunch of threes, didn't make as many as I kind of expected he would. Again, this is guy is guaranteed to go at least win the top two picks, I think. Any any holes you see or questions you have about women Yama's ability to impact the game at the NBA level or translate or anything like that? I, I have no concerns about translatability personally. I, I think the funnest thing about women Yama in this draft cycle is you know, usually each prospect gets their moment where they make a play that just makes you rethink who they are. 
and rethink what they're capable of. And they had that one moment in the cycle, and then you remember that and hold that the whole cycle. With mm-hmm. Wimbanyama, it's like every game, he shows something <laughs> that's like, okay, apparently this is possible in the game of basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked the play recently uh, that was circling around where he pulled up f- from three off the dribble and then had the time and obviously the size to go up and get his own rebound off the three-point miss and dunk over basically the entire opposing defense that it uh, caved in for the rebound and you know it's just something like that every game you just see something new um uh, i did think last year uh watching him i had more concerns about the frame but again mm-hmm. he, he's playing in a professional league at a very young age the frame is very skinny i think it's always going to be skinny even though in reality if you see him physically he's a very strong uh player mm-hmm. uh but just the frame in general is skinnier so Maybe some of the biggest centers in the league give him a little bit of issues at the rim, but you know this is just that's really nitpicking, and and you could really say that again for anyone who isn't a super big bodied center. Yeah, the they're biggest, gonna have issues at the rim. The biggest and best centers in the league give the other biggest and best centers in the league trouble at the rim too. It's like an unfair uh, sort of like level to hold him to. I think it's like yeah, of course he's going to come in as a rookie, and guys are going to beat him up a little bit. Like that's literally every rookie. Uh, I mean, almost every rookie. So. I, I hear that one a lot. I think there were a lot of people in sort of our fan base specifically. I saw it on the Bullets Forever board a good amount that like really hated on Chet Holmgren last year. And um, I'm curious like how much people are going to like talk about like how skinny and stuff he looks. But I I think you made a great point. Like it's he has like functional strength for someone. And I also think he looks like relatively proportionate. Like it's not like his waist is so high or he's not going to get leverage and things like that. Like he, he looks pretty... I don't know, like proportionate, I guess. I don't know how else to say that. Is that reasonable? Yes, yeah, reasonable. I, I think with Chet last year, people were looking, sometimes people look for a reason to punch down on someone to justify yeah. having them lower than other players that they like more. Mm-hmm. I really felt like the frame concerns were not justified with Chet. And I and I feel the same with Wemby now, having just said that that was the one thing I'd noticed. I, I really don't think it's a big deal. And, and, and yeah, like if you see him, physically uh, in, in photos i haven't ever seen him in person i would love i'm looking forward to doing so yeah. uh but from from looking at him he's a he's a very strong guy it's just the, the nature of being mm-hmm. seven foot four with a eight foot wingspan is you know I, you've got some weird dimensions i'm much more concerned with his mobility and, and the guy is the most mobile guy at that size i think we've ever seen and and may ever see i don't know i mean that that Normally, I, I would say that I'd yell at myself for hyperbole, but I don't know. It's that crazy with him. Like he's that good a mover already. And I, I just think he's one of those guys that even if he fills out a little bit, I don't think that's going to like restrict him from a movement perspective. Yeah, and his footwork is outstanding. It, it really helps him. Um, I think it's going to help him long term in even if he's a little bit slow footed for some of the larger for some of the you know smaller players in the league, just the ability to recover at his size and with his footwork is just you know it's unique i I don't know that there's really anybody that matches them exactly um shot 30 percent from three this year on five plus attempts below 50 percent from the field was an 83 percent free throw shooter i have like no concerns about the shooting i think a lot of those were just like him experimenting and things like that this year of like figuring out what he could or couldn't do and i think in sort of like a more I don't know, um, like balanced role as an, especially early in his NBA career, like the shots he takes are going to be, um, a little more settled maybe than, than they were at times this year. So I, I'm not worried about his ability to like stretch the floor either. Are you? Yeah. I took the words out of my mouth. I I think he's toying with his opponents in the French league. He's, he's just trying stuff, uh, seeing what he's capable of. A, A lot of his three point attempts are, you know, off balance. A lot of them are off the, off movement. These, these just are not the types of shots that a young player usually makes at a high clip. And he's taking a lot of them because, you know, he's a dominant force. He could, he can do what he wants. I think this is the only guy, uh, that I'll have that's, I don't know, in, in this group than I would have anywhere in the lottery here when, when I get around to like actually finishing up a board. Uh, is that sort of where you're at? Like, are there are there any other guys that we're going to talk about here? And this is just sort of um, a tease for later, but that can challenge him as the first big off the board or, or even like the like close to, to justifying going near him in the lottery? 
Yeah, you know, I've been focused on the West Coast guys for a lot of this draft cycle, just by nature of that being what I'm doing this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, as I've been able to start settling on some of the other lottery guys, revisiting them, going in deep dives, I do think Derek Lively is a candidate yeah. to be just maybe sneaking into the lottery, mm-hmm. uh, but not someone that I would be like dead set on putting there. And then outside of that, I wouldn't. Yeah, I don't think we're going to be talking about any other lottery players today. This is probably the weakest center class I can think of. Like, there's like actually kind of like maybe some decent depth of like this guy would be great on a two way. But if if like four total guys go in the first round that are over like six ten, I I wouldn't be totally shocked by that. Uh, am, am I like am I way off base there? Yeah, I th- I don't I don't think you're off base. I do think it is that a lot of center a lot of players who will ultimately play some center minutes nowadays advertise themselves as something other than a center um that leads to maybe some of the guys who are just locked in at center and they can't really argue their Mm -hmm. way out of it those are the guys that are usually going in the second round anyway um i think there's actually the backup center class is really deep Mm -hmm. uh this year but yeah the, the guys who are like we immediately project as starters. There's really not that many names compared to most years. Uh, you mentioned Derek Lively. It's the next name on the list here for anyone not familiar who didn't watch Duke or didn't listen to a college basketball podcast because they all have to talk a certain amount about Duke every game. But he's a seven foot one freshman. Uh, he's 18th on the rookie scale consensus um, mock big board, I guess. So sort of could be, like you said, a guy that moves up into that lottery range if the right team you know, needs that kind of person. Averaged about five and five this year, two and a half blocks. Didn't really show much ability to to space the floor that, you know, that was maybe teased about him coming in that he might have some ability to do that. Didn't really see that this year. It was 15% from three, 60% from the free throw line. It, it didn't seem to have like a ton of touch. It was a lot of just like, I'm, I'm big and I run pretty hard for being this big and I dunk a lot of things. So 66% from the field. Uh... I, I kind of don't get this one personally, like maybe because I didn't see enough high school tape, Garrett. I know you watched him play prior to Duke a good amount. Is there something we're missing with him here? Can he be anything more than like a rim runner shot blocker type? Um, I, I think the offense is pretty limited right now, and I'm not sure where it goes beyond the rim running, like you mentioned. Um, I, I do think that the spacing there there's potential there I, I i think the potential is really the as far as i could go with it he did shoot quite, quite a few more threes in high school well when i say quite a few more he would shoot one or two a game mm-hmm. in high school uh it didn't look like a bad shot but i don't think he's far enough along with that shot for duke to have any interest in having him take them especially when they have philip Paske on the roster another center who who is probably a better shooter um but yeah, I, I think that offensively, there's there's definitely a lot of questions of, well, how high can you wreck a guy who really has such a narrow role on this end? I will say he's very good at that role. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and flipping to defense, that's another reason why I think I'm more bought in is, you know, uh, he, he his role may be pretty obvious and, and uh, narrow, but he's extremely good at those narrow skills. Mm-hmm. So defensively, he's an outstanding help defender. An outstanding uh, basketball defensive mind, I think, uh, seems to anticipate offensive actions uh, well in advance and gives him t- plenty of time to prepare and load up for rim protection or or coming out of the drop coverage and and fronting at the nail. I think that he has that great length that allows him to uh, really be a great rim protector. And, and to me, I think that that's enough of a skill set to say okay if i if i can feel comfortable that this might be like a low-end starting center i would probably draft him fairly high i also felt like he had pretty good hands uh like obviously important if you're just gonna have to catch a lot of lobs and things like that so that's always a good thing um i I see like the nba role is like better bigger daniel gafford is that um kind of where you're projecting like that kind of guy that's interesting i haven't really gotten far enough to think about comparisons with lively but i think i think there's something there that could I'm gonna, make sense i'm gonna segue this into the next guy on our list here because i've got another wizard z comparison for you but uh we've got trace jackson davis probably on most 
from most services, sort of the runner-up national player of the year for Indiana, 6'9", center, essentially, uh, exclusively a center at the college level. Um, maybe we'll see if he can face the floor a little bit more in the NBA. I have some questions about that. Reminds me of sort of like, I think the NBA role for him is like a Trevor Booker type, you know, just like super active and physical. And I think watching Jackson Davis early in his his career, he like didn't play that hard, it seemed like. And then something switched the last year, year and a half where the guy just plays hard as shit and runs the floor really well for for being a bigger dude. He He's only like probably 6'9", but a burly physical 6'9", reasonably athletic. Average 21 points, 11 rebounds, four assists. He couldn't pass for shit for most of his college career. And then this year was suddenly like able to create some stuff for other guys. About three blocks, 58% from the field, 70% from the free throw line. I think this is a dude that just like, I don't really get, like he doesn't have crazy physical tools. I don't think he can shoot it beyond like 14 feet, but I would bet on him being able to be like a productive rotation player just because of of the effort and things like that. Uh, what do you think about Trace Jackson Davis? Yeah, last year I was not really a fan of the idea of drafting Trace Jackson Davis. Uh, kind of thinking of him as a low-end role player who has this very, again, we're talking about Lively again, a guy who has really no upside as a shooter mm-hmm. um, but or, or spacer in general, but at the same time, he was very good in his narrow role. But less so than lively i think this year he looks physically far more imposing than even just one year ago and i think that you you mentioned that you thought that he wasn't really trying as hard in the past i think that might have been a coaching change uh difference in that i think that rather than effort it might just be that mike woodson's offense just clicks a lot more for him um it seems like he knows exactly where he's what his role is and he has He's had a really great feel with Hood Shafino in that two-man game and, and with other uh, Indiana guards. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I've come around on the idea of drafting Trace Jackson Davis. Uh, he, he really seems like a Tommy Shepard draft pick. He does, right? uh, so maybe if that front office uh, is still making decisions on, on this draft, then Trace Jackson Davis might be a wizard. But I, I, I do think he's he doesn't really have the starter upside that would make me want to put him in my first round more of a second round guy still at the end of the day yeah like if i'm i don't think it's the best fit for the wizards personally just about like the kind of guys i would want to fill out their roster with but you know if he's on the board at like 40 or something i and i just need like a guy that i think can come in and and be solid and productive at some level right away he's someone i would look at and you mentioned him being like a perfect tommy shepherd kind of guy when i watched indiana play at maryland i was sitting the row over um, from a lot of the NBA guys and, and the scouting departments and stuff that were there. And I, I saw like some folks from the Wizards crew were there in person. And I'm like, they should be here looking at Hood Shafino, but they're probably here looking at Trace Jackson Davis. <laughs> like it just, it, you're, it's exactly what you're right. Like he's son of an NBA player. Uh, he's kind of a smart player. He seems to play work pretty hard. And it's like, all right, he's been coached by an NBA guy. I'm sure Tommy Shepard and Mike Woodson are boys. Like it, it would have been like the kind of ideal early second round pick for the Wizards or something. But uh, you know, we'll see what this new regime uh, prioritizes and things like that. But there are some teams I would like him for. Like I said, you know, early second round. The Wizards not being one of them. I I just don't see how you put him like really next to the other two bigs that are going to play the most minutes for the Wizards, assuming Porzingis is back. You can't really play him next to Gafford. I I think that'd be the worst shooting front court, you know, that they could throw out there. So uh, I'm not really feeling that fit a whole lot. Yeah. I, I think he's not a Wizards fit at all. Um, yeah. Just, just the complete lack of spacing is, is deal, deal breaker enough. There aren't really like a ton of guys on this list I, I buy the shooting for. And that's a spoiler for people listening to the rest of this. If you're <laughs> interested in stretch bigs, I, I don't know if this is the the group for you. But the next one on this list is probably the person I watched the least so far. And, and he's kind of the only other one, I think, really in that first. Well, maybe there's two more in that fr- sort of fringe first round uh, range. And uh, James Najee, that played for Barcelona this year, is like 33 on sort of that consensus big board I mentioned. So like in that range, potentially for, for a lot of people, I I've not watched a ton of Najee. So, um, Garrett, you've probably seen more of him than I have. Do you want to kind of enlighten folks about what kind of player we're talking about here? 
Yeah, James Naji is definitely a defensive prospect, uh, first and foremost. He's uh, 18 years old playing in, at Barcelona right now, and uh, minutes are a bit inconsistent as as you as they are when you play in Spain. But uh, in the games where he's been featured, he's shown uh, some great mobility as a center. I think he's 6'10", I think is what he's listed at. I don't know if he actually is. He probably is. He, he looks uh, to be about that big and long, too. Yeah, very, very long. And I think the number one thing that strikes you immediately is that he's a very fluid mover, mm-hmm. not only um, in drop coverages, but on the perimeter. Uh, so there's a potential for him to be a, a bit switchable uh, in that regard. I think that his instincts as a uh, drop big are very good. Um, I, I do th- wonder a bit about um, his, his rim protection. It seems that he he, is, he has very high block numbers, but it, it does seem like he can sometimes hunt for blocks a bit. Um, but I, I think in general, he's got a good defensive brain uh and he's got the tools to be a really uh mobile defensive big offensively i think he's pretty much just a dunker spot guy um i I think that on top of that he might be a -a hack-a-shack candidate even though that has kind of faded a bit i think he might be a sub 50 percent free throw shooter um so, so yeah it's kind of again we're talking about guys with pretty narrow offensive games with him and lively but the defensive upside is definitely interesting You'd watch like a whole game and he'd barely play, but in like his six minutes, he'd have like two blocks or something and he'd catch a lob from somebody and you're like, oh, okay, <laughs> like um, that's pretty cool. Is that translatable? I, I like the Yannick and Zosa thing last year. I watched very li- little of him and I kind of didn't get it. And from what I've seen since after going back to really pay attention to him once the Wizards trapped him, I, like that's a guy I, I would not bank on ever playing for the Wizards, to be honest. Like, is Najee a guy that if he gets drafted, like is actually going to play in the NBA? Like, do, do you, do you buy it personally? I think so. Uh, I think if a team has drafted him and then is invested in having him come over, I think they would bring him over. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think he's a guy like, uh, and so like Zosa, uh, where it's going to take years and years and years to be able to play minutes. Okay. I think that, I think he could probably play right away. If, as long as you're in the inter- doing it in the interest of developing him, Mm-hmm. Um, I will say also, I said he was a dunker spot guy, but he he can cut, make some cuts with the ball, uh, like a straight line driver. Mm-hmm. I, I think that fluidity on the defensive end does show in 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 those scenarios. So he can put the ball on the floor a little bit, I guess. Um, but yeah, I I think that the number one thing is just, are you willing to draft a guy who doesn't seem to have a lot of upside outside of, um being a dunker spot guy offensively when you know that he is a good defender, probably unlike lively doesn't have elite tools. It just, just very good tools. So it's tough. I've had a really hard time placing him in on my own board personally. The extent of my like NBA draft scouting most of the time is I just like to watch college basketball more than the NBA. Most of the time, maybe that makes me a weirdo. Um, A lot of people listening to this probably think that, but so I don't get to the international guys as much, but I kept seeing James Naji on all these boards of like fringe first round guys. And I'm like, all right, I've got to watch like a little bit here, at least just so I'm not like totally clueless. And like you said, there, there's some there's some stuff you could like and and there is a projectable NBA role, which is good. And some of these guys, I, I think, you know, like you said, I'd rather be good in like a narrow role, but at least there's a role. Um, some of these dudes, I, I don't really know what they do at the NBA level, despite being very productive college players. And it, it's hard to fit them into a bucket. And I think for teams evaluating them, that makes them kind of fall lower on a board if you can't see like the immediate seamless fit for for somebody that you're about to draft. Um, one of the guys I, I've seen in person that I liked and um, I, I enjoyed watching a reasonable amount, but I also kind of don't know exactly how valuable what he does is to an NBA team is Deron Holmes from Dayton. I got to see him in person at the A-10 tournament a couple times last year, and I, I just like had a fun time watching him play for anybody not familiar. Uh, Holmes is like a eh, 6'9", 6'10"-ish kind of guy, averaged 18 points, eight rebounds, an assist and a half, about two blocks, 31% from three, 60% from the field, 67% free throw shooter. 
to me, he looks like somebody that just like runs the floor pretty hard. He's pretty good on the block. Like maybe not a rim protector particularly though, and also not crazy switchable. So as much as I like Holmes um, and, and think he could like come in and produce to some level, I, I just don't know exactly like what fit or, or bucket NBA teams will just see him and immediately put him in. Uh, where are you at with Deron Holmes? Yeah, I think I'm a much bigger fan of Duran than Najee, uh, mm-hmm. and I and I compare the two because I think that they're being drafted for similar reasons. Um, I, I for me, I, I mentioned that Najee has a smart defensive mind. I think Duran is a defensive genius. Wow. Okay, um, that's great. I I think that's partly why uh, he has so much interest is is that he has the this innate in in innate shot blocking instinct that just you can't teach mm-hmm. and um he can, it's not only at the rim I, I think that yeah you mentioned that he i think a lot of his blocks are actually on jump shots mm-hmm. I, I haven't actually checked the stats on that but that's just anecdotally what i've seen um i think that he can switch a little bit i do think that it's going to be it's something that you just notice immediately uh in summer league of whether or not he'll be able to switch at the nba level or not mm-hmm. I think it's like something you realized right away. He he I know that he has bulked up quite a bit this year. Uh and that might have impacted his mobility a bit. Um but yeah, I think that he is in general kind of an average NBA athlete for a big, not really like uh somebody's gonna be able to keep up with guards. So his switchability is limited, but his shot blocking ability and his uh positioning defensively is impeccable. I think okay. that he's a guy who just Get, understands basketball at a deeper level than you or I. <laughs> Anyone on this list understands basketball at a deeper level than I do. I can pretty much guarantee that. Uh, <laughs> I, I, he, he was, this was a weird team this year. Like this year's Dayton team specifically, I enjoyed considerably less than last year's Dayton team. And I, I don't, I don't know, maybe because they kind of underachieved, but like the, the spacing and stuff was weird at times. And, I wonder if that even kind of held him back to some extent. It was a lot of like, let's throw it into Holmes and see what he does. And if he can bail us out, it felt like that's kind of what their offensive plan was a, a lot of the time. Yeah. The, their star point guard, Malachi Smith, missed quite a bit of the year. Yeah. And then when he came back, he really didn't look like himself. Um, and when he's not playing, they don't have another point guard. And like you mentioned, they don't really have great spacing as well. Um, so it really kind of fell apart um for Dayton really early on and they just knew that Holmes was their best player and gave it to him in the post a lot a lot of post ups not mm-hmm. really like NBA type offense but I mean he put up he's good at it though I, I, he put up great numbers I didn't really expect him to score as much as he did this year mm-hmm. and and it didn't it, and it sustained even once they got some of their hurt guys back so um, that that was an interesting development. It's, I'm shocked that he put up that many points off mostly post ups. I, I liked his footwork as well. Like, there's a lot of drop steps and spins, and you're like, wow, okay. Like he he's pretty nimble on his feet for a good sized dude. And uh, I I thought that was like encouraging, even though again, like you said, that's not that, that's sort of where I was going with like fit is like a lot of the stuff I saw him do offensively this year. I don't know that NBA teams are going to prioritize, but. He's a dude that runs the floor pretty hard. He's athletic enough to go up and catch lobs and do the rim runnery stuff, I think. Uh, do you buy the shooting at all with Holmes? No. Uh, I, <laughs> I think that's it. <laughs> Perfect. Um, yeah. I, I think that maybe he has a, a mid-range jumper that's that ha- he hasn't used as much. Um, I don't think the shooting form is bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just doesn't look like he has... Uh, outstanding touch from the perimeter even at the college line i think a lot of times like for guys like him certain college teams aren't going to let them do certain stuff if they haven't really proven it yet but like last year seeing him in person like he was like nailing like 15 foot jumpers and warm-ups like he knocked down like 10 in a row and you're like oh okay like touch looks pretty good here and then you see him shoot a three and it's this sort of like wide base you know, like set shotty yeah. <laughs> kind of thing. It's like, eh, not not sure I buy that longer term, which I, I think if he could shoot it, um, this is a guy that moves 15 spots up the board or something like that. Yeah, I, I have him as a first rounder personally. Okay. Uh, I think that he's a guy who could realistically start for a playoff team uh, in a very limited role, of course, offensively, but um, 
just the idea of him being a defensive savant um, and being able to be more a bit more than just a drop pick, I think is is valuable in that environment. So for me, I would personally take him in the first, but uh, maybe more of a late first guy. I actually like him better than I like Trace Jackson Davis. And if I were going to draft for the Wizards, I would rather have Holmes of the two of them. But I, I guess I could see why maybe a team wouldn't feel that way. I don't know. Um, he'll be interesting. So I, I think, uh, again, like he's he's a better player than some of these other guys. It's just maybe for me, like the fit isn't as, as, wasn't as obvious. So it, it's interesting to hear you talk about the defense. And I think that... I'll have to go back and, and pay a little more attention to that too then because maybe that's a thing that I can use to justify putting him a little higher on my board than just, I like to watch him play. Uh, but that that's sort of what I was basing it on before. Yeah, um, I think he's a top three smartest player in the draft, basketball mind-wise. Um, I've just been extremely impressed by him. And, and I, I one of the biggest factors for me to raise someone on my board is just seeing that basketball intelligence show on the court. Mm-hmm. And uh, that would have gotten him drafted by the old regime pretty highly too, I would have imagined. Especially if we could drop a play. We always love to make a joke about that, although I don't know that it's actually a joke with uh, the old group. All right, next one I got on the list here, UCLA uh, center, uh, Adam Bona. Just freshman, super athletic. There was stuff sort of early in the preseason coming out of UCLA, calling him the next Amari Stoudemire and things like that. I had watched him play some internationally before that, and it was like, eh, I don't like he dunks pretty hard. I don't know that I see anything uh, close to a, a Mari Stoudemire esque potential here, but I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's more along the lines of what they meant. Uh, he's hurt at the moment, from what I understand, and probably won't be able to work out for NBA teams at least in the next couple of weeks. So I, I wouldn't totally rule out that a guy like this goes back to school for another year, but he's athletic and. Played pretty physically this year. Again, sort of more of that rim runner, shot blockery type guy. Uh, Garrett, what do you think about Bona? Yeah, I think he's one of the biggest lottery tickets in this draft. Uh, very boom bust mm-hmm. um, type player. I think that this year he showed that he's extremely raw yep. still. Um, doesn't necessarily always know where to be on the court. Uh, doesn't always necessarily... Um, uh, he's not always necessarily ready for the ball when it gets to him. His hands have been a bit questionable, but the sk- the prevailing skill that just makes him extremely interesting is that he is a r- r- uh, rim protector who can switch on the perimeter for sure. Like he's extremely athletic, uh, can fight through screens and, and switch onto guards and hold his own. Uh, he gets really low in his stance and just seems to really love. Uh, that challenge when it ha- when he gets into that situation. Mm-hmm. I think that at the same time, again, though, he doesn't necessarily always know when to yeah. uh, get switch and doesn't always know when to just get back into the paint. Um, that being said, he's a great shot blocker when he, uh, when he makes the right read. And that switchability is just extremely rare, extremely rare. So I understand when some people put him in the first round. I think I, he's more of a second round guy for me because I think he has so far to go and it's and it's less it, it really is like kind of lottery ticket situation. But um if you're if you buy into that potential, I totally understand it. I liked that he sort of has that really quick second jump ability too. Like a, one of the games he played against Maryland, I'm pretty sure he blocked three shots on on one possession. It's like uh, he just people couldn't get it over him, and then to your point, he switched on to Maryland guard Jameer Young, and it's like, all right, uh, this Adam Bonin kid like can really stay in front of a small, quick, um, you know, NCAA guard a guys like five eleven, like it's pretty impressive that he that he did that at a reasonable level. So I, I kind of liked him a lot over the course of the year, and also felt like his like presence or his absence during the NCAA tournament was like pretty noticeable, like not having him there at full strength limited them a lot as sort of that back line or last line of defense kind of guy. So I would be interested in him again. I, if, if I'm a team and I can't see him work out at all, I would be really hesitant to take him. So maybe, um, I don't know, they'll do all the, the due diligence there or whatever. And, and maybe he's further along physically than I, than I thought, but at least that was my understanding that, that he wouldn't, um, be ready much pre-draft here to, to show things off for teams. So I, if I'm going to put like a late first round pick on him, I'd want to at least 
you know, see him out there a little bit more if, if I were a team. Um, so I, I don't know. It'll be interesting if he's on the board for the wizards, you know, at 41 or whatever, I, I wouldn't like hate it to be honest with you though. No, if we drafted him, I wouldn't have any issue with it. Um, I, I think that he is one of the most fascinating decisions of whether to stay in the draft or return of any prospect this year. Yeah. Um, the shoulder injury that you touched on needing surgery for that. I don't know what the timeline is for that in recovery, but um, not only that UCLA has a dime. I, I hope I'm saying right. I'm um, coming in seven, two, seven, two center uh, more, but really not. There's really no overlap in their skill sets, but mm. they do both prefer to play center. Okay. So it would be kind of interesting. I think that, um, from a stock draft stock building perspective, it wouldn't be great for Bono to spend less time around the rim offensively because that's really the only place where he provides value. Yeah. And just innately playing with another center will do that. Um, so it, it's an interesting decision. I don't know that this is the year that I would c- come out for him. I, he could, I think another year would really do wonders for his stock, yeah. especially in a weaker draft next year where people will probably be more willing to take those, these lottery ticket prospects earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that if, if he did come out, he would definitely be a worthy draft pick, and I'd, I'd be happy. So I think by sort of all accounts, we've heard that next year's draft is a weaker draft than this one overall, but this is kind of a weaker center draft potentially. So I, I don't know how next year's compares or whatever. Maybe it depends on some of the decisions like like guys like him make, but um, I think it's also worth mentioning that, that Deron Holmes, there's also a chance he goes back to school. I, I don't know if you have any thoughts or familiarity there with more of his situation. Yeah, I think that's that's going to be just a judgment call on what the feedback is from teams with Duran, from my understanding. Both of those guys, selfishly, I'd want to see in another year of college basketball. But um, I think, you know, if you can make it in the first round, just just do it and, and never look back. Uh, the, the next guy here is probably just like the exact opposite of Bona in terms of like prospect to me. You've got Zach Eady. He's junior player, uh, seven foot four doesn't have any switchability in in my personal opinion um but was crazy productive this year 22 points 13 rebounds one and a half assists two blocks 61% from the field 73% from the free throw line actually he has like reasonable touch especially around the rim i, I don't think he took a three like a single three all year I, I don't know that i would expect him to be able to shoot it you're basically just drafting like a huge body that also is sort of relatively new to the game. So maybe they continue to develop and and build their skill set over time. Uh, I, I have the, again, I mentioned this in the outset, like this is one of the reasons I wanted to do this pod is a couple of people have asked about Zach Eady and why he's not higher on teams radars. Again, consensus mock has him 54th overall. Like, and I think that's hard for some people that don't pay attention to draft stuff to recognize like how Air quotes, the best player in college basketball can be barely draftable, but this isn't a guy I would be like bending over backwards to try to take with a draft pick. If I'm the Wizards and I have the 59th pick and I I just want to take a flyer on like a big body, I mean, fine, but I I don't think I personally could get uh, around to taking him much higher than that. What do you think about Zach Eady's prospects, Garrett? Yeah, I I don't think he's a very... um high-end prospect i think he's i think he is a prospect Uh, i I think that the problem is is that it's really hard to envision how he would contribute to a playoff roster Mm -hmm. um so while i think that he definitely could have a place in the nba as more of like a gadget player a regular season guy who can pour in uh scoring off mismatches for short stints um but yeah, it's really hard to see what his playoff role would be when he's really not a he, he he's a really really uh um just not a flexible defender, I guess is the way to put it. His his role is just to stay inside and try to protect the room a bit with that big body that you mentioned. Boban Marjanovic is always the name that's thrown around. Mm-hmm. Uh I don't I don't know. I think that there's a t- potential for Edie to be a b- even better offensive player than Boban is in the short stints at, at his peak. Uh, but it is that kind of situation where you never see Boban play in the playoffs. Right. And that's because he just cannot switch, cannot mm. you do get hunted the whole game if you're if you're eating. Like there's just there's no world where that works. But I don't know, can you be a huge dude and eat up six fouls against some of these other bigs? Like 
it's not the worst thing. I also wouldn't put a whole lot of draft capital into somebody if if that's what I thought the extent of their role was. Yeah, he's like a guy you take in the late second once if all of the other names that you had on your board are gone. And if he's and if that's the case, you know, that's the two way range where guys get signed to two ways anyway. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, I think he's two way worthy. And it'd be it'll be fun to watch him in the NBA, and not even if the role is kind of questionable long term for him being relevant in a playoff setting. It'll also be interesting. You mentioned with with Bona previously, like his um, draft decision. I actually think Edie's draft decision is probably still pretty up in the air. I would imagine um, Purdue seems to have gotten their NIL stuff figured out a little bit. Zach Eady is Canadian, so there's like some uh, open question, I think, about how um, these guys can maximize NIL when they're not American citizens. So uh, I'm not saying that that can't be worked out. But if you're Edie and you're maybe potentially even undrafted, but you could go back to Purdue and make half a million dollars next year to be the best player in the country again or whatever. I I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think that that's totally off the table at the very least. Yeah, I also wonder what his uh, interest is in coming back and get, getting getting back from losing to a 16 seed. Yeah. Probably left a bittersweet feeling uh, after a really solid regular season for them. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting. I, I think that I, if I was Zach Eady, I would certainly want to be National Player of the Year again. I would certainly want to come back to the tournament and make a real impact. But, you know. At the same time, you know, he always knows that he's going to have an invite to the NBA if he wants one. Mm -hmm. So um, it's a matter of where his head is. Yeah, again, I think that NIL thing will be big, too. Like, if it's easier to say, like, I want to go back to college basketball and and do better as a team and bounce back from, you know, the probably the worst upset in tournament history if if you're also going to get paid to do that. And if he can't capitalize or maximize on that, I think it's uh, probably a, a longer longer stretch for him to to want to make that choice all right the next guy i've got on the list here i have watched very little of this person um i I know we talked a little bit about him before recording here and and you're not super well versed here either so i just want to mention him but um tristan vuksevich uh for partisan belgrade 611 ish didn't do a ton this year production wise but but also just looks like a stretch big from day one like I, i think the shooting looked pretty fluid and seamless for a guy and the average 38% from three, 56, 57-ish percent from the field and 80% from the free throw line seems like a pretty clean translatable jump shot right away. Uh, but again, kind of limited minutes on a good veteran team. It'll, it'll just be interesting to see like, does he do anything else other than shoot it? And and I have not um, dug in here enough to, to find out or really get a feel for it. It doesn't look like the most athletic or fluid guy. And I think that's probably why you see him kind of on like the tail end of mock drafts to potentially undrafted. Any thoughts on Vukcevic you want to throw out there? Yeah, I, I have not seen a single game of him. Um, I've I've heard that he's more of a stash guy, and I'll be getting to him probably towards the end of the process if he decides to stay in the draft. I'll I'll give him a watch. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, going back to another one of those guys that's sort of um, hyper productive at the college level, uh, former National Player of the Year, similar boat to Edie, although a different player, is Kentucky's Oscar Shibway. Also, still maybe a world where he goes back to school also, so that'll be interesting. Although with him, I, I doubt it, and I have heard from some folks that he's just sort of over college basketball, so we'll see. But he averaged about 16.5 points, seven or 13.5 rebounds. One and a half assists, one block, one and a half steals, 0% from three for the year, 56% from the field, 73% from the free throw line. I was much higher on Oscar's draftableness after last season, but this year it seemed like he got cooked defensively at an increased rate. And uh, I, I just don't know what a 6'8 center who doesn't really protect the rim, can't switch and can't shoot looks like at the NBA level, despite being a guy that plays super hard and has a nose for for the ball and, and getting rebounds and things like that. Do you see a world where Oscar Shibway is like a productive rotation player for an NBA team five years from now? It would have to take a pretty dramatic change in his ability as a defender. Um, it just feels like at this point, not being a natural rim protector in addition to not really seeing 
offensive the offensive uh, actions developing before they it's too late. He's so frequently out of position uh, within the defense, even within kind of a simpler scheme that Kentucky kind of tried to make it easy on him. He still struggled. I, I, I think that that's really with Zach Eady. I think it's like he's such a mismatch when he's on the floor at an NBA level because be, yeah. because his archetype doesn't really exist that much in the NBA anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, the difference is with Shibway is that he's not really a dominant force when he's going to be on the floor in any capacity. So how does he make up the poor defensive showings uh, in any way to be, to justify a rotation spot? I think it's going to be a much more uphill battle for Shibway to see any NBA minutes. He, he probably will. Uh, having Kentucky connections, he will probably find a team that's willing to give him a shot. Uh, it's it's a long shot, though. I had this conversation with somebody else, and I will protect their name because I think it was a terrible argument. But they were talking about like, oh, he could do like a Kenneth Fareed role in the NBA. It's like Kenneth Fareed was like a monster athlete and much much more mobile and and things like that than than Shibway. And and I don't even know that he would hang uh, the way people play today necessarily i think farid's actually not even that old there's a reason he's not in the league so i won't totally rule out shibway couldn't just be like he just plays so hard that maybe he finds a way to stick i just it's your point about with Edie, like how do you see him on the floor in a playoff roster and i just personally don't really see the fit there as much as he's a fun college player yeah bigs who can't really defend are fading out of the nba quickly and and the guys who like the Vuceviches of the world are are getting recognized now as guys who really are able to contribute to a team, but are but are such a hampering uh uh like their weak point in the defense to such an extent that their offense even at a high level is not really that helpful. Mm-hmm. It makes a lot of sense. Um, the other guy here is just sort of the third of the really productive college centers here. Maybe we'll just touch on him quickly is drew timmy i have been the person probably maybe me and Raphael barlow are the two that have been like drew timmy is an nba player for for most of the last couple of years I, I watch a lot of wcc i've mentioned this on the pod a bunch just because the the schedule sort of works out for me a lot and they're easy for me to catch those games so i like footwork guys i like post players and, and i've really enjoyed timmy um but I also thought he had just enough touch that the shooting would eventually have come around over the last two years. And I don't know, honestly, it seems like it's kind of gotten worse at times. And he's always tinkering with like his free throw mechanics and things like that. So um, Drew Timmy from Gonzaga, there's always jokes about, you know, oh, the Wizards are going to take him with a lottery pick because Tommy likes <laughs> Gonzaga. Um, again, he's not a guy I would be opposed to trying out on a two-way because I, I do think He's really tough offensively. He's good in pick and roll. He runs the floor pretty hard, and he's one of the better ball like ball handling bigs of this class, or maybe you could even grab and go a little bit with him, but he's not going to do much for you defensively, if at all. I think best case scenario, he's a net neutral long-term, and he's just not not become a shooter, and, and that's sort of the piece I really banked on coming around eventually. Where are you at with Timmy? Do you think he sticks at any point, or is this a guy that's killing it in Latvia in 10 years? <laughs> I think he'll be higher than Latvia if he's okay. uh if he doesn't play in the NBA. But I, I do think that there that he is a legitimate prospect. I do think that the offense, the the, the amount of craft to his offense yeah. is extremely impressive, uh, even if he doesn't have the spacing that he touched on. But the thing for me is that we've he's one of these players that we have seen get total defensive attention throughout his entire career Mm -hmm. where the entire defense collapses on him when he gets the ball on the block. And the fact is guys like that usually look a lot better when they no longer have to have that kind of attention. And I think we have underrated him a bit in that respect because of the fact that a lot of his looks look really for can look forced because the windows are so small. I think Uh, think he could certainly be a third no matter what. Yeah. Sorry, the guy who I would uh, consider drafting in the late second. Um, I think that it's, yeah, I, I think that he's a guy, I think Shibway, we talked touched on his defense kind of being a question. Uh, Timmy definitely is is still a very limited defender, but I think he's a, a further along still than, than a Shibway. Um, a guy who at least understands what he's supposed to be doing defensively, but maybe just can't always do it. 
I also thought a lot of the times they just relied on him so much to carry the load offensively. He would just like bail out on picking up a foul. And I don't know that that means that he couldn't have defended that situation better. So I think a lot of that was sort of context related. And and I think you nailed it with like, especially with their spacing this year, like Strother obviously shoots it, but like he's out there with Hickman and, and uh, Antoine Watson and, and a lot of these guys that like, they're fine, but are they going to shoot a big enough volume for for them to really hurt you? So yeah, your point, him with more space, he, he's crafty. He's got the footwork. He's got handle. He's good in the pick and roll. I I, I think there's enough there offensively that um, that's why I think he's interesting. Like, I actually would prefer to have him on my team to Zach Eady uh, just because I think there's a world where he could go out there and, and just be good enough offensively. And I, I think the passing is probably better than he gets credit for and and being able to like, you know, kick it out of the high post or something like that. Like, I, I think there's enough there that, that he could help you offensively and help other players offensively too. So I, I would give it a shot, especially if you could get him, you know, tail end of that, that sort of thing. So if I'm the Wizards, I'm drafting at 59 or something like that. I, I, I actually don't like hate that at all. Yeah, good shout on the passing too. I think that's another thing that'll really uh, shine with more, with uh, with larger windows to play mm-hmm. make out of. Uh, a guy who could put the ball on the floor as well, uh, which is nice to see out of a center. Yep. Agreed. All right. Uh, we got a couple more guys here I want to hit, and we'll just rapid fire through these real quick. Uh, Yukon's Adama Sonogo, 6'9", 17 points, 8 rebounds, uh, less than a block, less than a steal, 36.5% from three this year, which I was really surprised because he was kind of mostly a non-shooter before this year, and 77% from the free throw line. So I spaced it better than I thought he would. And I do think some of that was like a late surge at the end of the season. And he hit a couple big ones in the tournament and things like that. But that might be enough of what people remember from the year that it gets him drafted late in the second round. I kind of personally don't see it where he's like, if he were like a little bigger or like a little better athlete, he sometimes does like the Jan Mahinmi run where like, it seems like he's swinging his arm so hard to get him to like move forward and get some momentum going. Like, I, I don't think he's actually as fluid a mover as maybe people hype him up to be potentially. So I, I don't know that I'm totally there, but again, if this was somebody that a team wanted to take a two way on or something, I, I wouldn't be against that at all. Where are you with Sonogo? Yeah, I, I can't say I'm much of a fan. Uh, I think the biggest thing is that he is a complete physical mismatch in college and that won't be the case in the pros in addition to being undersized um and for me it's it's a feel question i don't always get the impression that he sees the floor beyond uh scoring options he just sees how he can score for himself more often than not and that kind of ball stopping is really uh, challenging for somebody who's trying to make a roster as a big um for me as well, I think the shooting, I, I, I do think it's a, a real jump. But at the same time, now, if he has to extend to the next range from three-point line, I'm not so sure that that's something that I'd be excited about if I took him. Uh, more just kind of like with Lively, where, oh, okay, maybe in a few years this will be something. But uh, it's not something that I'm banking on if I take him. So not, not a huge fan, personally. Yeah, for sure. If he were the starting center for the Capital City Go-Go next year, though, like I think that'd be a fun enough watch at that level. But um, that kind of I, I don't see a whole lot more than that. I think the rest of these guys we're going to talk about, including Sonogo, I have in the could they end up better than Jay Huff range? And I think <laughs> it's probably pretty questionable that they could. So if I'm the Wizards, like, am I going to put a 59th pick or whatever it is in here to try to get a guy that maybe just ends up better than the guy we already have on a two-way. So I, I don't know that I would advocate strongly for, for any of them at this point. The next one is Washington State's Muhammad Gay, 6'11", 14 points, eight and a half rebounds, two assists, less than a block, less than a steal, not really much of a floor spacer, but I kind of didn't hate him. Um, to be honest with you, I, I watched a little bit more this year than I had in past years. And was pleasantly surprised. He had like a 30 point game against USC that I remember watching and was like really impressed. But I also didn't watch him enough to know that if he could do any of those things consistently or if it was just like one of those nights. Yeah, he, he posted, uh, he was at the G League Combine last year and posted similar athletic numbers to JT Thor, if, if people mm, remember okay. him from 2021. Right, pretty good. I think he has bulked up a bit this year so that he's probably a uh, larger and his frame looks like it could fill out more than a JT Thor who is mm-hmm. extremely skinny. Um, but yeah, I think he's an athleticism bet. 
um where you're hoping those skills can just that he's already flashed can be uh just incrementally improved and if he's that good of an athlete then each incremental improvement will be enough to make him playable. I think that he's a long-term project. I I, I was surprised that that he uh, is interested in staying in this year because I think that he could really benefit from more development at the college level before he tries to make a roster. Uh, but yeah, he, he's an interesting bet uh, in the late. If he if he's available in the late second, yeah, take the take the lottery ticket like in a Dembona. Yeah, I actually watched him play a Dembona and he destroyed him. They're former high school teammates actually. Oh, uh and he just had a dominant performance against UCLA. Yeah, sometimes it's just nice to to stick it to your old homies a little bit, you know, like just make a point. Like, hey, I, I can still big brother you if I want to. And that, that's pretty cool. Like he's a guy I would take over Sedogo just because he's bigger and I think probably more athletic even potentially. So it, it I would just take the flyer on it and see if it worked out at that point. Uh, yeah, that, I would too. Yeah, that makes me feel better to know I'm not crazy there. Um, because a, a lot of people who watched the national championship game have been tweeting me like, "Why don't we have Adama Sonogo with the 40th pick?" And it's like, uh... I will say that yeah, with so to go back to Sonogo a little bit, his regular season tape is pretty different from the agreed uh, NCAA tournament tape. Yep, and I, I think NBA teams are probably less likely to get recency bias than us as fans are. So, um, I would just say keep that in mind for folks. Uh. Okay, um, Ryan Kalkbrenner. I really, really like Ryan Kalkbrenner. Like he basically does sort of two things really, and and one of them is just stand up really tall and straight and not foul people. Um, which is a skill. Honestly, he's the seven foot one center from Creighton, and basically when he missed time or wasn't healthy, their team fell off a cliff defensively. And when he played, uh, they were much better. And actually, I think their offense was even better. Um, you know, with him out there as well too. Average 16 points, six rebounds, 2.1 blocks, a half a steal, 32% from three, 70% from the field, about 80% from the free throw line. It's the other thing. I buy the touch with him. Like the sh- the three-point percentage wasn't good. But if you tell me three years from now, he's a reasonable um, wide open three-point shooter. Like I-, I wouldn't be shocked by that at all. And he's just big enough. Like if this guy is like doing what Jay Huff did in the G League, you know, next year, um, that wouldn't surprise me at all. So I, I think I see him as a third big in the NBA at some point. Uh, what do you think about Creighton's Ryan Kalkbrenner? Yeah, I'm a big fan of Ryan Kalkbrenner as well. He's someone who I'd definitely draft probably in the early second, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, the I'll, I'll add in another skill of his that I think he's a fantastic uh, rim runner mm-hmm. and pick and roll partner. Uh, Ryan Nemhard uh and him were just this awesome two-man combination for the last two seasons and, and for me you know he, he's a guy with uh those two like standout skills that you pointed out and and being a great reminder i mean that's all he's gonna do but he's gonna be great at it cool i'll take that for sure that that's a good contributor to a to a lineup it's a guy that just like i also feel like is mature and adult enough to come in and just sort of get it and not rock the boat and like uh, by all accounts, was sort of like the leader defensively for them too. And uh, the this is not the guy that's going to go out and hunt blocks and things like that. And I, I think that's what you want from a, a backup big who's not going to come in and just like you know foul out right away and stuff like that. Like I I I kind of buy those things yeah. for him. I, I'm thinking about the games I watched him right now because I thought that was a great point because I I really can't remember a time where I felt like he was pressing it. I, he he is a guy who just. Takes takes the right looks and doesn't really force his game at any point. Similarly, another guy uh, I think you are also going to be higher on because you mentioned including him, and I'm glad that you did. Uh, is Florida's Colin Castleton? I think I'm going to agree with what you're about to say, but I'll I'll let you take the floor um, on Castleton. Yeah, he's been a guy who's been I've been tracking for a few years. Uh, he's an older guy, which is why I think he's getting a bit underrated right now. Um, what it, people are very big on Walker Kessel this year after his year at Utah, I will tell them if they're big on Walker Kessel, they should watch Colin Castleton destroy him <laughs> twice yep. last year uh, in the Florida Auburn games. I think that he's uh, really skilled, uh, can put the ball on the floor. I don't know that I would necessarily want him to be driving from the perimeter too much, like attacking closeouts like he did at the college level, but I think he can put the ball on the floor and really create for himself. In addition to being a, a really nice shot, uh, rim protector, you just look at the athleticism and know that, and just within a few minutes, know that he's profiles as a backup. Uh, but I think a very good backup, a guy who's very well rounded, 
uh, can contribute in a lot of ways and uh, can, you know, play make in the flow of the offense. So I, I'm a fan. I also thought he was like sneaky, better laterally than maybe people give him credit for. Like in times where he got isolated, he moved his feet well enough that like teams are still going to hunt him and he's probably better as a drop big. But I don't think he's as exploitable as maybe some of these guys on this list are or people would just assume from like the fringe seven foot white guy. Um, so I, I think that's maybe a little underrated with him, too. Yeah, I think every every time I bring him up with people who are making boards, people who are uh, working in basketball. They say, "Oh yeah, I'm a fan of his." And then I look at their board, and he's they don't like, have him. they don't have him. And I say, "Well, why not?" <laughs> I think we all agree that he's good. Let's give him a draft pick. I, I, I would I would take him in the mid second. I think him being hurt a, a reasonable amount of this year maybe also hurts him. I, I don't know. I, I guess it was was it a wrist injury? I can't remember at this point. But I think um, yeah, I think he either broke his wrist or or something to that extent. But yeah, he, I remember him being in a cast. And, and Florida also had a very disappointing season. I was really excited for them. They have a lot of uh, long-term NBA talent on that roster. Um, so it, it was a shame that he didn't get to showcase himself like he probably thought he would when he when he came back to school. Yeah, agreed. Um, so that's that's a sleeper. That's another dude where like if you looked up in five years and, and he's like somebody's eighth, ninth man and, and it's just really solid, like I wouldn't so be surprised by that. Like if, if Luke Cornett is still in the league, like why couldn't Colin Castleton go out and play? I don't know. Um, all right. The last name here and, and this one, we don't have to spend a lot of time on. I, I mentioned him to you sort of pre-show here. I'll just throw him out there because he was highly productive and, and maybe people see the name out there and are wondering. It's Arizona's Azulis Tabellis. Played the four in college, um, you know, next to Umar Balo at Arizona, but Probably has to be like a smaller center in the NBA. I mean, he's 6'11", but he's, he's a decent size. Runs the floor hard. That's kind of like all I got for you. Scores in the post stuff I don't think he'll be able to do at the NBA level. And I think he gets cooked defensively. So I don't really see it here, but um, maybe maybe I'm missing something. I think the, a lot of the problems with this game were really exposed in the Princeton game. Uh, this tournament, I think Princeton did a great job of attacking him and, and putting him in uncomfortable situations. When he when he's comfortable with his game and he's getting to his spots, uh, he's extremely effective. But any any resistance to that, and he and he starts running into issues. It seems like he's very um, set in the ways that he wants to score and, and isn't able to adjust. Um, so for me, I think he is a guy who could play NBA minutes and not be a, neg- a total negative or anything, but I'm just not particularly excited by anything that he brings. He's not really, he can't rim protect. Uh, and I, I just don't really know what his defensive role is in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe some of that is harmed by the fact that he's playing a four, four man game at Arizona when he's yeah. going to be asked to play a five, but I, I haven't seen anything yet that has really excited me about his game. Garrett, anybody we haven't talked about here that you want to touch on or, or circle back to or spend another minute on or anything like that? I will throw Tristan De Silva's name out there as a guy who's probably not going to be in this draft, but has test of the waters. I would actually have him in my first round, I think, right now. That's a pretty uh-huh. hot take. I don't know anyone else who feels that way. But uh, 6'10", 6'9", maybe, uh, stretch four, but could probably play some five. Not a natural rim protector, but a guy who can defend in the post fairly well. Otherwise, in terms of like breaking up entry passes, disrupting, uh, disrupting the offense with really great hands. But the main thing is that he's shooting about 40% from three this year. Uh, can score at three levels. His uh, older brother is playing over in Europe right now, and was a former first-team All-Pac-10 guy. And then you can see that he's really learned his some of his post-game from growing up with him. Um, and then his mid-range game is great too. He can put the ball on the floor. So I think he's a guy who's been talked about as being much, as a, a a sleeper for next year. And you know, Colorado is going to be pretty good next year. They, they just added Cody Williams and KJ Simpson's still there. So I, I think he's a really likely return candidate, but somebody who I'm already high on from just this year. I love that. Yeah, and with this sort of um, particular draft, it doesn't sound like it's a bad idea to go and and get a little more shine next year too. So uh, it'd be interesting to see what this looks like closer to the draft. We mentioned a couple of these guys could pull out, and if they do, it becomes a really light center class. And then maybe some of these 
sleeperier guys we talked about end up a, a little higher on the radar than than they would have been otherwise. So, um, Garrett, thank you for doing this, man. This was uh, really exciting. We've been talking about doing this for a while, so I appreciate you um, doing it. And again, just nice to have somebody that gets where like the Wizards fan uh, perspective is coming from with respect to a lot of these guys and and what we're skittish about or triggered by and, and those kinds of things. So, um, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, great catching up with you and great to talk about basketball. This this has been fun. Appreciate uh, where, you having me on. Yeah, of course. Where can people um, find find your work and your analysis and and um, all your good content? Yeah, I'm not able to put out a ton of my content at the moment, but you can find me. I still share my thoughts on Twitter at Half Awake Takes. Uh, the Wizard season's over, so you won't see too many takes about that right now. But I'll certainly be posting about the draft more as we get closer and closer to the date. Uh, awesome, Garrett. Uh, you're one of the people I look forward to to their reactions to players and things like that uh, the most. And it was good hearing some of your thoughts uh, at Summer League on, on some of the Wizards guys too. So maybe we can do a, a post-Summer League pod uh, again here about um, some of those Wizards guys and, and how they look and, and these people that we've talked about, how they maybe look in a Wizards uniform eventually. That sounds awesome. I'm down for that. All right, everybody. You know the drill. Rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. We're presented by betonline.ag and we will catch you next time. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.